I want to talk about the purpose or the purposes really of a pastor. This is a teaching type of a message tonight. You'll, you'll maybe, you won't be able to follow all the verses uh, as quickly as I'm going to go through it, but I believe you'll get it. It's full of Bible teaching tonight. And then at the end, I'm having some application of what we teach about a pastor, purposes of a pastor. Whether you like it or not, and maybe whether you understand it or not, a pastor is a gift from God. I'm a a gift from God. Well, you didn't get the best, but hey, a gift from God. A pastor, there's no, and I just read this in a commentary last week, bad government's better than no government. You don't want to be leaderless. You don't want to go off into chaos. And anything that uh, tries to disrupt your unity, you want to be aware of it. Stop it early on. So what are the purposes of a pastor? Look, this is from a Bible study I did, and hopefully you can benefit from it. We're to preach the word. Maybe foremost of anything, a pastor is to preach the word. Well, you can't preach it if you don't know it, and you can't really know it if you don't walk with God and put your hand to it and say, I got I to learn it. Learning the word of God is painful. It's painful to study. How do I know that? That's why you don't study. It's painful. Why don't you read four, five, six hundred page books? It's painful. You can do it. Your eyes can do it. You know how to read. What's stopping you? The pain. It's painful. Academics is painful for a lot of people. They'd rather go out and drive nails or do anything else they could, drive golf balls. They'd go out fishing or do anything, but they don't want to be. But you got, if you want to know God, whom to know is life everlasting. And if God's called you into the ministry, one of the things I work with Chris and Thomas both, who, who uh, Chris has been called in the ministry and been ordained, and we're working on the ordination of uh, Thomas. He believes he's been called to the ministry by God. Is uh, you have a responsibility to know God, whom to know is life everlasting. You got to pursue Him and seek Him. Because God wants you to preach the word. 2 Timothy 4.2 is where I get that from. That's edification. And so let me read a few. Romans chapter 10, verse 14, 15 says, How then shall they call upon him whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach except they be sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel of peace and bring glad tidings of good things. In 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 2, it says, To feed the flock of God which is among you, taking oversight thereof, and these verses are to pastors, not by constraint, not by force, but willingly, not for filthy lucre, but of a ready mind, not because of the money. John chapter 21, verse 15 says, So when they had dined, Jesus said unto Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonas, Lovest thou me more than these? And he said unto him, and we know he said unto him three times, The Lord knows I love thee. And, he, and Jesus said unto him, Feed my sheep, feed my sheep, feed my lamb. So one of the major functions of a pastor is to feed the flock, to bring the Bible to, to a place where they can assimilate it, use it, take it home, be encouraged by it. Also, of course, in doing that, to encourage others to study it themselves 
maybe one of the people ask me, what do you consider to be the most important thing in your ministry? My, in my, my ministry is coming to an end, no doubt. And what has been the most important part of your ministry? It's been encouraging people to read the Bible. If I could just put one, and it's really hard to bring it down to one thing, because the bus ministry is important, soul winning door to door is important, all that's important. It's all big. But if one thing you had, I'd say, well, encouraging people to read the Bible would be the, my biggest contribution to you is to encourage you to read the Bible. Because when you read it, then you don't say Bill Lytell said or some preacher said, you say the Bible says. And that's, a, that's freedom. That's freedom, and you need that type of intellectual freedom to have that. What does uh, preaching the word involve? Well, First Timothy chapter 4, verse 13 through 16 says what it is. Reading, exhortation, and doctrine. I'll read it. Till I come, Paul says to Timothy, give attendance to reading. I've heard people tell me I don't like to read. Well, if you're called in the ministry, you better get used to it. Reading is going to be a big portion of your world. Reading will improve, I said in Sunday school, reading will improve your vocabulary. It'll, it'll broaden your horizons. Reading. An exhortation, that's it. That's what you, what you hear, encouraging other people to follow good things. And to doctrine, that's the truth of the Bible. Neglect not the gift that is in thee, which is given thee by the prophecy of the laying on of hands of the presbytery. Meditate also upon these things. Give thyself wholly to them, that thy profiting may appear unto all. Take heed unto thyself and unto the doctrine, that's the teaching of the Bible. Continue in them, for in doing this thou shalt both save thyself and them that hear thee. You, you know this and you've heard this. The teacher always gets the most. If, if Nick is asked to teach Sunday school class, Nick benefits the most flat out. If Tom is asked, Tom benefits the most. And then what you do is you help those that you teach, but not as much as you were helped by, learn, by getting ready to teach. The one who gets ready to teach gets the most benefit. And so as a pastor, I've kind of felt, I felt highly, highly honored that I get to spend two and a half solid days a week and more studying the Bible. What a, what a, what a preference, what a reading and exhortation and meditation. Oh, it's beautiful. And doctrine. Um, so we're, we're to teach, we're to preach the word. Secondly, we're to watch down all things. That means oversight. One of the functions of your pastor is not just to teach the Bible and keep it, keep it, keep it from error, but it's to have oversight of the local assembly, the local church. The very definition of the word episkopos, which is the word to oversee, means bishop. The word bishop, or it means an overseer, or they all mean the same oversight, bishop, all the same words. Um, these are a pastor's duties. One of the more if I may say this, maybe the one of the more tasteless uh, duties of a pastor is the oversight duty. Acts chapter 20, verse 28, Paul tells those in Ephesus, the preachers of Ephesus, to take heed therefore unto yourselves and to all the flock over which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers. That's the word there, oversight. Him to, and to feed the flock, to feed the church of God. So you have oversight and then you have responsibility to feed. Uh, the word oversight means to walk guard. Now, now uh, Charlie's real familiar with that. Anybody that's been in the military, you know what walking guard is. My dad on the islands would have uh, three-hour shifts that they would stay up and 
and walk in. You had to have a password. If you didn't have the password, he was told to shoot him. A serious. If a guy doesn't have a password, shoot him? Well, one of uh, my dad's uh, like lieutenants somehow got lost or something and got over, and my dad said, halt, a good password, and he did not know the password. And my dad recognized his voice, or he said I was commanding, he said, please don't shoot me. And he had forgotten the password. <laughs> and it was serious stuff. So we're, we're, to over, we're pastors to, to be an overseer, an oversight of the spiritual, especially, especially the spiritual oversight of the church. The business oversight of the church oftentimes is taken care of uh, in cooperation with the deacons. They're elected by the church as well as the pastor working together hand in hand to try to make sure that the administrative part of the church is done right above, above reproach. Uh, he says in verse 31 of chapter 20, Therefore watch and remember that the space of three years I cease not to warn every man, every one night and day with tears. First Peter 5, 2 says, Feed the flock of God which is among you, taking oversight thereof. And so there's numbers of verses that talk about the oversight. The third thing a pastor is to do is he's to do the work of an evangelist. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 5 is where we get most of that. Major, threat of, major thrust of a pastor's work is to help people in the assembly reach the loss. You say, well, I thought it was a hired help's job to reach the loss. That's not what the Bible says. The hired help is to help you reach the loss. Now, obviously, they're to reach the loss, and I, I'm a witness wherever I go and try to be a witness in every way I can. Uh, I'm, I do that personally because I think you... You lead, you don't drive people, you lead people. You, you, don't, you don't tell them to go somewhere you wouldn't be willing to go or do something you wouldn't be willing to do. I believe in, in a leadership type of a thing, not a, not a driving folks. But here's what the Bible says in Ephesians chapter 4, 11 and 12. And he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. And so he gave them, he gave these evangelists and apostles, well, there's no more apostles, but he gave prophets and evangelists and pastors and pastor teachers, or actually pastor teachers is one office, uh, to help the saints to grow, to get united together, and become soul winners, to become witnesses for Christ. It's God's system. So we're supposed to preach the word, that's to edify the body of believers. We're supposed to watch and be an overseer in all things, and we're supposed to do the work of an evangelist, to be a soul winner. I believe you find that here at the gospel. I've tried to do that. The man before me, Harry McKinney, tried to do that also. And V.L. Martin, which was only here for six months, he also fulfilled that same ministry. God's system for the church is a pastor-people relationship. If you're not right with a local church, you're not right with God's method of reaching the world. God has chosen one way to reach the world, and that is through pastor people, uh, pastor deacons people, uh, to go out there and to reach them, to gather in little groups. It doesn't have to be big groups. It can be little groups, 10, 12 people. It can be 1,000 people. It can be different sizes, and there are all different sizes and shapes of the local church. But I've had people talk. I've talked, uh, you know, when I go door to door or whatever, get in conversation with people, they'll want to argue with you about, well, I don't need to go to church. Somebody the other day was telling me they were right with God. They haven't gone to church in 10 years. Any church. Oh, you mean to tell me you're so peculiar 
that there isn't a church in the whole area that you believe you can fit into. Most of the time, they're overcritical. Most of the time, they're critical of every little, if there's a little one little flaw, they think, well, then they don't want to be part of that local church. God, basically, where God's coming from is overlook whatever flaws you've got to overlook, but be part of a Bible-believing, uh, evangelistic local church. Overlook the flaws of the preacher as long as they're not heretical. Now, you know, I had a call the other day from one of our, uh, I believe it was Corey, Corey Phillips, and he had a guy come in the church there that was involved in some heretical uh, radicalism of a fund, kind of fundamental radical. I call them super fundamentalists. Nobody's doing right but them. Everybody else is wrong. In fact, they don't believe you can be saved by a gospel track. And so I, put a, I have a testimony on our website about my wife receiving a gospel track, helping her be led to Christ. And he, in one of his sermons, he put on YouTube, knocking Gospel Baptist Church. You probably don't know he's been knocking us, but he knocked us. He said, I don't even think that preacher's wife was saved. I think Kathy's saved. Of course, you wouldn't be able to know that. How arrogant it is. I don't know. In order to say, I don't, I don't say, I say, I think Brother Mike's saved by the fruit I see in him. But ultimately, when he stands before Jesus, that's when that's going to be decided. Amen. Uh, according to Matthew chapter 7, 23, I think 21 and 23, there's going to be many come before Jesus that knew him, talked about him, preached about him, even did some miracles in his name that he's going to deny that he ever knew them and not be part of it. So for sure, we can't judge the heart. No man can judge another man's heart. You cannot judge the heart. And heart's where you get saved. The heart, with the heart, man believeth unto righteousness. Tongue confession is made of salvation, but the heart has got to start there. So I really can look at you, and all I can look at is outward fruit, but it's, at best, it's, it's, it's rough. It's a rough judgment to do, but ultimately, it's, it's what's in your heart between you and God on your, whether you're saved or not. So how awful would it be for me to go around telling people whether they're saved or not? But uh, this, these super fundamentalists, uh, as, they, uh, I, as I call them, want to be heretical. One of the jobs of a pastor is to make sure that they are not coming into Gospel Baptist Church. You folks never know, probably of the wolves that I've had to drive away. The wolves that have tried to come in Gospel Baptist spoil what we got here by causing division among us and animosity among us and critical spirit. Let me say, the critical spirit's not of God. I'm talking about critical spirits, just critical everything. Critical this, critical that. Stop, stop, stop. That's not God. God said to use all the power you have in you to stay united. We're commanded to be of one mind. And so when God commands us to be of one mind, that means I have to ignore some, hey, I've been married 51 years. I've had to ignore some imperfections. And my wife's had to ignore a lot of imperfections. And she's had to move on past I'm not even going to tell you. You'll enjoy it too much. I'm not going to let you enjoy that. And by the way, if I, I, this is superfluous to me to say this, but God calls men, biological men, to be pastors. He doesn't call women to be pastors. But yeah, but I know some women's got thousands. Yeah, you may know them. The devil's got a lot of followers. Uh, the woman, women are not called to be pastors. There's never been a woman called to be a pastor in the New Testament history of church, as far as I know, 
uh, there's been no one. Now you say, well, there were a woman judge, Deborah. Yeah, but she tried to give it to Barak. She said, Barak, you need to be here. You need to be the man to lead this thing. But women are not to do that. It's just not God's job for them. That's not what he wanted them to do. You say, why? Well, I don't know. When you see him, ask him. The Bible pretty well just says what it says. It doesn't say why a lot of times. So it's a job for men. And it's a principle. We also got to be careful how you treat your preacher. Now, I'm, not, I'm saying this. And it's a little uncomfortable for me to say this, but it's the Bible teaching. Uh, David was very careful not to touch God's anointed. Be careful. Be careful how you treat your pastor. I mean, don't give him favor above anybody else, but don't, don't uh, berail him worse than anybody else or more than anybody else either. You know, you got to be careful about God's anointed. David, if you watch him, as you read David's life, he was very, very, very careful not to condemn Saul, even though twice he was given an opportunity to kill Saul outright. Was Saul doing right? Of course he was not. He was pursuing an innocent man, trying to kill him out of pure jealousy, pure jealousy. So even though, but what did that, what, did that make any difference with David? David said, he's God's anointed, and God forbid that I lift my hands up against God's anointed. God, when he's ready, is going to take Saul out. And when God was ready, God took Saul out and, and his sons and his family. He did what he was to do, and he let him do it. But, but David says, God forbid that I do that. I'm not going to lift up my hand against God's anointed. That pleased God. So I read a book one time. The title of it was intriguing. I had to read it. It said, How to Murder Your Pastor. I'm not trying to give you any ideas tonight, but I'm going to run a few of these things. I, read, I, I did a little listing on some of the things I found in that book. It was very interesting. Um, how to murder your pastor, number one. Have false and unrealistic expectations of him. Have a pastoral stereotype. Um, I've had people come to me. I've had people say every kind of thing to me negatively. They said, you don't have a voice of a pastor. I just say, you're right. Uh, you know, and, and then, you know, you don't do this or you don't do that. Or my pastor did this and my pastor did that. Quit comparing me with your pastor. You had a pastor up north. God bless his soul. He was a wonderful man. But now you're here and you got me. You're stuck with me. And I have, I have somebody in my mind right now that, that kept telling me about a pastor she had when she was a young person and how he was still a wonderful guy. And she's never found a pastor to live up to him and has never been involved in the local church for 25, 30 years now because she never found a pastor was good enough. Wasn't up, didn't, hey, I don't know. I'd have liked to have met the guy. I mean, man, he was, he, I mean, I, I'd just like to shake hands with the guy after she talked about him. I said, man, if you talk about me like that, we'd probably grow another 10, 12 people. But she, she, no, she didn't make it here at Gospel. She didn't make it at other churches in all these years gone by. And she's wasted the, the precious moments that God gives us to serve him over being hung up with a stereotype about a preacher. Don't do that. Uh, the next preacher after me, maybe it'll be Chris Barrows. We hope so. I think he's ready. They're getting ready. And you say, well, Chris ain't like Pastor I tell You can't. Don't compare the next guy to me. You'll never be happy if you keep comparing. Listen, when I'm gone and off the scene, I'm gone and off the scene. And don't talk about me to the new guy. That'd be like me talking about one of my old girlfriends to my wife. 
How do you think that worked out? Oh, Pastor Lytale was so wonderful. Say it while I'm alive. <laughs> Don't wait till I die to tell me. Oh, it was so wonderful. Oh, I wish you could preach like Pastor Bill. Oh, stop it. When God gives you a man, and he's a man from heaven, get behind him, help him, encourage him, strengthen him, and maybe God will anoint him, and he'll be better than you ever heard before. That's possible. That's real possible. Well, let me tell you, give you the list here. It says, let me give you some superhuman characteristics expected of a pastor when you're trying to murder your pastor. First of all, he must be a good speaker, a deep Bible student, spirited evangelist, compassionate pastor. He must have wisdom of Solomon. He, he must have a pleasing personality and good looks. He must have, be an astute businessman an effective and efficient administrator. He must be original and creative and pity the poor preacher who fails to live up to this list. It will be said of him, he has some good points, but, and he'll slam him after that. What's an ideal pastor? Here's an ideal pastor. He has the strength of an ox, the tenacity of a bulldog. It maybe looks like him the daring of a lion, the wisdom of an owl, the harmlessness of a dove, the industry of a beaver, the gentleness of a sheep, the ver versatility of a chame chameleon, the vision of an eagle, the height of a rhinoceros, the perspective of a giraffe, the endurance of a camel, the bounce of a kangaroo, the stomach of a horse, disposition of an angel, loyalty of an apostle, faithfulness of a prophet, tenderness of a shepherd, Fervency of an evangelist, devotion of a mother. I can't go anymore on that. That's, a, that's, that's what's expected of a pastor uh, by some folks, and that's how they kill him. The first thing, expect too much of your pastor. Have, have some sort of unreal uh, stereotype of your preacher. That's a good way to hurt him. The second way is to criticize him privately. You remember the Old Testament well enough to know when Moses was leading the children of Israel, the Bible says they murmured in their tents. And what did God do? Ooh, he sent some bad stuff on them. One of them was fiery serpents. Killed all kinds of them. Thank God he don't do that today, amen. Thank God for the mercy of God on us. But don't, don't go, listen, if you've got a gripe about me, come to me like a man or a woman and talk to me one-to-one. -one. I've had preacher come, I've had some noble people come into my office, make an appointment with me and say, preacher, I don't like you. I don't like your jokes. I don't like your humor. I don't think there's any place for humor in the church. I said, great, there's a lot of other good churches in this area. Because I can't change. I am what I am. And I'll, I'll do my best at not hurting you purposely, but you know, I can't let you guide me on what I believe God's guiding me on. And you maybe ought to find another church. And you know those people, you couldn't get rid of them. They stayed here till they died. I mean, if I, 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 got, a, I got a philosophy. The harder I treat them, the better they like me. I don't know. I never measured up with those folks, never. They had roast preachers slightly burnt on the outside every Sunday. The Catch-22 Syndrome. And found in Matthew chapter 11, verse 18, 19. For John came, if John the Baptist came, neither eating nor drinking. And they say he had a devil. 
The son of man came eating and drinking. They said, behold, a gluttonous man, a wine-bibber, a friend of publicans and sinners. And Jesus said, wisdom is justified of her children. In other words, the way truth came, God sent truth by way of John the Baptist. He was kind of a wild man, you know. He was clothed differently and ate honey and wild locusts, and, and, and he didn't drink anything or eat in a restaurant. <laughs> and he was just kind of, he always ate out, and I mean, take out. And, and they said, he's got a demon. That guy's crazy. Jesus came being the average citizen, looking like and being like most of the rest of them and eating with publicans and sinners. And says, he's a wine bearer and a glutton. No matter how God sent truth to them, they were going to destroy it. They were going to criticize it. They were going to be mean to it. They going to say, that isn't it. Now, whose fault was that? That was not John the Baptist's fault. That was not Jesus' fault. That was the way they perceived him. If a pastor is young... They say he lacks experience. If, if his hair is gray, he's too old for the young people. If he has five or six children, he has too many children. If he has none, he's setting a bad example. If he preaches from notes, he has canned sermons and is dry. If his, if his messages are extemporaneous, well, that's without notes, he isn't deep enough, he's shallow. If he caters to the poor in the church, he's playing to the grandstand. If he pays attention to the wealthy, he's trying to be an aristocrat. If he uses too many illustrations, he's neglecting the Bible. If he doesn't include stories, he isn't clear. If he condemns wrong, he's cranky. If he doesn't preach against sin enough, they claim he is a compromiser. If he preaches against sin, he's too offensive. If he doesn't present the whole counsel of God, he's a hypocrite. If he fails to please everybody, he's hurting the church and should leave. If he does not make them all happy, he has no convictions. If he drives an old car, he shames his congregation. If he buys a new pickup truck, he's setting his affection on earthly things. If he drives a Ford, he... he if he drives a Ford, he makes too much. And if he drives a Chevy, he's living on below poverty level. If he preaches all the time, the congregation gets tired of hearing just one man. I've heard these. I've heard these. <clears throat> if he invites guest ministers, he's, <laughs> he's shirking his duty and shouldn't take his paycheck. If he asks babies to leave the auditorium, he's callous. If he allows crying babies to stay, he's negligent and doesn't care if his sermon is heard. If he stays behind the pulpit, he's too stiff. If he walks around, he's too distracting. If he talks to gen in gentle monotones, he's, bo he's boring. If he shouts, he's crude. You see how it works. 2 Corinthians 10, 12 says, For we dare not make ourselves of the number or compare ourselves with some that commend themselves, but they measuring themselves by themselves and comparing themselves among themselves are not wise. You ought to do a double reverse on your preacher if you've ever been guilty of any of those. Do a double reverse. Look at a pastor during the message in the eye and say, Glory to God, Amen. And he will probably preach himself to death. 
pat him on the back and brag about his good points, and he'll probably work himself to death. Rededicate your life to Christ. Ask the preacher for some job to do in the church, probably some, uh, some lost person you could win to Christ, and he'll probably die of a heart attack. Get the church to unite in prayer for the preacher, and he'll soon become so effective that a larger church will take him off your hands. God gave pastors as gifts to the church. Neglect, criticize, attack, gossip, complain, and you may not have one. And nothing is worse than a sheep with no shepherd. The wolves will freely devour the sheep. You've seen it. You've seen it. Most of you old timers have seen this happen. Preacher had been there a while, stepped down, and the church divide over this or divide over that and can't get agreement on what God called, and the church will then just literally just dissolve. John Boucher went up to Calvary. The guy that started that church up there at Calvary at uh, Calvary Baptist, isn't that Calvary Baptist Church up there in the name of that up there? In Boquilla, where, where is that thing? I can't remember the name of the lousy place right now. See, it's happening. And so where John went up there, uh, I can't remember the guy's name that started it either. I'm in bad shape. This is why I don't do extemporaneous. But I'll remember it when I'm walking out of here tonight. So anyways, the guy that started the church up there, he was there for over 35 years, I believe, had a heart attack and died. And they had, Called one guy in, and that didn't work out. Called another guy in, that didn't work out. Called another guy in, that didn't work out. That church was 600 people at its, at its peak. Had a school of over 100. By the time they got done with those three guys, which was a period of about seven or eight years, that church was down to 50 people. Maybe 50 people. Financially, the only reason they survived is everything they had was paid for. And they survived long enough to have John Boucher, which I, I felt and by Wendell Heller felt God put there. We felt God was calling John and Darla to go there. And it's turned out. It's turned out they got behind him. Him and, and John's not perfect. Darla's not perfect. My goodness. But if that's God's man for that place, and God's blessed it, now they're up, growing, things are going good there. Brother Moon. The preacher up there at Brother Moon, the North, North Gainesville Baptist Church, he died of a heart attack. And they all of a sudden didn't have a preacher. But they were smart. That was your uncle up there, I believe. Is, there, is your uncle up there as a deacon? They got, they got right on it. Got a guy, Brother Moon. I thought, boy, that'd be a good match up there. He's about half a hillbilly anyway. And he likes to eat. And that puts him in. That puts him in like Flynn with, and he likes to eat. He knows the Bible, and he's about forty years old. And he went in there, and he's done doing a good job. God's blessing that work. They're getting behind him. They're smart. You need a preacher. God called, yes, preacher that you can get behind and say, "This is the guy. We're going to get behind him, and we're going to pray for him." Instead of criticizing him, instead of being rough on him, instead of being hard on him. Now look, if he goes off in the hair, if he get rid of him. Because he's not God's man, right? If he goes off into heresy, he's not God's man. But if he doesn't go off into heresy, brother, and God calls him and you all vote for him and you get you pray about it and everything, put it together, and 
praying. God calls him. You bring him in here. He's God's man by the grace of God. And he'll and, by the, and I hope this place will go on. I was thinking the other day, wouldn't it be nice if Gospel Baptist went a hundred years? A hundred years. Wouldn't that be great? Phenomenal. Could happen. I heard a church in, in the east somewhere had a 200-year anniversary. Now, Baptists, to get along for 200 years is somewhere right around a miracle. 200 years that church has been in existence in any kind of shape. I thought it was a great accomplishment. It would be very tremendous, uh, you know, to those people up there. May the Lord help us, and I hope this helps you in some way. Father, just pray. I don't, I, I, you led me to do this, and I didn't want to do it but you let me do it, and I said, I'll do it. I always told you I'll preach anything you want me to preach. I'm real uncomfortable, Father, about preaching about the office I'm in. But you let it, and I did it, and may, that be, may these folks be blessed by it. I don't know why you had me do it, but I don't have to know why. Pray that your hand be upon Gospel Baptist Church. Pray your power of God be upon these folks as ultimately when they have another preacher. I'd love to see Chris Barrows come in if it's if it's God. And Father, if it is, make it plain, anoint him powerfully. May the deacons and all everybody be in agreement if that's the way it goes, if that's what they decide to do. What a wonderful thing that'd be. Somebody's been here seven years. Father, grow us, help us in Jesus' name. Amen. If you would like to know more about the Lord Jesus Christ, you may contact us at the church website, gospelbaptistchurch.com, or you can go to Facebook and type in Gospel Baptist Church Bonita Springs, Florida. Also, you could call the church office at 239-947-1285. Thank you, and God bless.